Hello, world. Um, this is the Intelligent Developer, um, led by Andre and Gerard. So this is the pilot episode um, titled The Great American Move, um, how states are dealing with the new normal. So before we jump into the topic, um, Andre, if you could please tell tell folks a little bit about yourself. Sure thing. Um, so I'm a real estate developer focused on the West Coast and the Midwest, uh, specifically focused on workforce and affordable housing. Um, over the last, I'd say 10, 15 years, we've done projects um, up and down the West Coast. Uh, and we're now kind of looking at these trends. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, my name is Gerard Delane. Um, you know, spent the first five years of my career in architecture. I've spent the last 10 on the development side. Um, and I'm a big believer in uh, making communities better by using our skill sets. So, um, yeah, so our first episode, we're going to talk about the Great American Move 2020 and about how. You know, folks have been moving around a lot because everybody's been locked into their residence as a result of coronavirus. So um, which state should we talk about first? Well, I think we could just give an overview, right? I mean, when we think about what's happening in the U.S., it's it's not it's less about one particular state, but more like the greater trends. What do you think? Right. Yeah, so Let's do it. Let's do it. So I think there's been an outflow of people from city cores. Um, single home sales are at a 16 year high. Um, home builders can't find enough material, can't find enough labor, um, which is like amazing. Like two years ago, you would not have guessed <laughs> that single family home sales would be on fire. But that's where we are. Very well, interesting. Why do you think that that's the case? Why why are people choosing to buy into more single-family houses? I think we're going through a generational shift right now. That we went, like, in my parents' generation, you were trying to get a job and move into suburbia and get a gated community, get out of the city. And that we spent the last 20 or so years moving into cities, you know, making cities walkable, right? you know, getting into a city where you can ride a bike to work and, and, and walk to work and take the train to work and or walkable cities. Like that trend has been growing. Obviously, San Francisco, New York, Boston, big cities, DC have been reaping the benefit of that. London, Paris, right? All the big cities have reaped that benefit. Um, I think we may be seeing a shift away from that, that mm -hmm. the next generation may say, you know what? I don't wanna live like that. I wanna have a big house with a yard and space. Maybe I don't wanna go bar hopping like the generation before me, <laughs> right? Right, it's like, yeah, we're both like, you don't wanna do that? <laughs> right, like I remember- but it might. I mean, I remember um, growing up in my early twenties, 
And that move of like, someday I'm gonna move to New York City. It's gonna be this like amazing experience being around all those people feeling that frenetic energy. And now in my thirties, and especially, you know, uh, because of the pandemic, it's like, that's the last place I want to be way too many people. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's very yeah. interesting to see what the long-term psychological effects are going to be, especially as we look at um, millennials getting older and, you know, the other generations that are coming into the workforce. Exactly. Exactly. And just the, that's what I'm saying that I think that there's a generational shift that they don't want what maybe me and you will aspire to get the next generation. Um, that they may want a different experience in the housing is going to have a direct effect. And now they have the ability to work from anywhere. Because the other part right. of why you wanted to move to New York is because that's where the high paying job was. Correct. So, um, and there's also the social experience, which I think we can't discount. So you move to New York because you're gonna meet cool people. You're gonna go to the restaurants, you're gonna go to museums, right? You're gonna be around people. You're gonna go to concerts and shows and that whole experience. Um, so you would live in a apartment that wasn't so great, an apartment that was kind of small, it was kind of expensive and trade off for the social experience. Um, I think the next generation may not see that as much of an aspiration. And that's really interesting because I mean, we saw that with like, as retail continues to get decimated, uh, there's been this shift mm -hmm. towards everything being more experiential. So right. when we think about housing in these, call it major markets, like what, what do you think um, landlords and, and even developers are going to need to do to really be able to capture who's left? I honestly think in the major markets, New York, California, I think in the long run, they'll be fine. Um, and what, somebody just quoted me the other day that uh, home sales in December in New York were incredibly high um interest rates are super low and that there's enough people who still want to live in cities i think there might be a, just a balance that we needed that cities were getting way too much attention and that now we have cities like nashville and austin that are having their day you know that those cities are improving their populations increasing quality of life is getting better for everybody involved um i think that's a good thing I think it's a good South Florida is doing amazing. Um, and it was doing good before COVID, but the amount of energy, activity, economic growth, um, I think is pretty exciting for everybody. I guess everybody, and do you think that includes the municipalities? Because Absolutely. now they're gonna be they're gonna be stressed, right, with a lot more a lot more individuals moving into those cities, a lot more demands being placed on like infrastructure. Um, broadband connectivity is gonna be a huge driving factor in terms of, you know, who can actually theoretically move into these cities. Um, 
so it'll it'll be interesting to see how even policy like evolves um, in these major markets, or actually better, how policy evolves in these suburban markets that traditionally didn't have, you know, such a large inflow of that net migration. Fair. I think South Florida in particular is gaining lots of well-to-do folks, lots of corporate dollars are moving there. I think that's gonna be a net positive. I think there's gonna be more people paying taxes, more people owning homes, more people opening up businesses. Um, I saw SoftBank just agreed to have some like $100 million startup fund to encourage the tech space that's been on fire down there. I think that's gonna continue. I think the the energy that's going on down there, I believe is sustainable. I think it's gonna last. Um, I think investors around the country, I think that is actually net positive too. Because for a long time, it was hard to get in the Silicon Valley. It's hard to get into New York because, right? That's where all the energy was. Now it's like, no, I can invest in tech in Austin. I can invest in tech in Atlanta. I can invest in tech in Atlanta, Miami, Charlotte, South Carolina. Like, I think there's there's a bit of a diversity in investment, which I think is actually healthy. Hmm. So, and I guess when when we see these dislocations in the market, there are a lot of opportunities that come from that too, right? If mm -hmm. a lot of investors are focused on trying to deploy their capital in places like South Florida, Texas, Arizona, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, what's left in the major gateway markets? I think foreign investment, you know, was going down or decreasing, um, especially the last couple of years of the, the Trump administration. I think that's gonna slowly move upwards as the world recovers. Um, I think the Biden administration is going to be a little more friendly to foreign investment. And you can find a deal now that if you're a foreign investor, buying in New York City today is a much better deal than buying in New York City two years ago, one year ago. <laughs> you get a right. much better deal. Buying in San Francisco, buying in Seattle today is a much better deal than buying there a year, year and a half, two years ago. So that's what I'm saying. I think those cities okay. would be fine. Hmm. Uh, that's that's a really great point that you're making. Um, just in terms of like the amount of capital that the Fed's like pumping in the system right now, and with them not expecting to raise interest rates, you know, at least in the near term, I mean, we're going to see a very weakened dollar, right? Yes. We're going to see a lot of more, I guess, attractive fundamentals for these foreign investors, as you're mentioning. Um, yes. So, you know, countries like Germany or South Korea that have already been investing heavily in America, I think that can open up more opportunities for them. Yes. Yes. That's how the system works. That's how the system works. So, a positive way to look at that, because it's definitely a negative way to look at it. A positive way to look at that is that keeps economic activity in those cities. So I moved to New York in 2010. There was a lot of international investment in New York City. 
when the entire country was going through a recession situation, the city got lots of economic activity that helped it get through that downturn. Mm. So a positive way to look at it is that it brings in fresh cash, fresh dollars, that yes, right, municipalities, many of them 25 to 50% of their budget is paid by property taxes. So I think encouraging that to happen, I think, um, I think will be a, a benefit that the states and cities should be encouraging. That's really interesting. Um, I guess as we kind of look forward to what this new normal looks like, like when do you think we'll be out of this? When do you think we'll start seeing the effects of the pandemic? Mm. So the short answer is the government is holding back from us having to deal with the reality. Reality is 10, 15, 20% of the country is not paying any rent whatsoever right now. Mm -hmm. How do we reconcile that? Because they have leases that say they should be paying that. Should it all just go away and be forgiven? If that's the case, should all those landlords say to the banks, we don't have to pay any of that mortgage during that period? <laughs> Um, do the banks then go to the government and say, hey, we have a shortfall. We need to function. You need to help us. We haven't had to deal with that yet. We've been kicking the can down the road, as they say. So I think until that happens, until the federal government comes up with a plan or the banks come up with a plan, um, I think we're avoiding uh, a massive, massive shortfall. That's that's so true. I mean, I think about um, the policies that have come into play, right? Over the last year, we've had these eviction moratoriums that swept across the nation. Right. The CDC right. got involved, right, in a lot of those uh, deliberations. Mm -hmm. and, and it's kind of been like the short end of the stick for these landlords and owners, right? right. It's like, first, no, there's nothing that you can do. And then over time, um, a lot of these, uh, I guess, policy changes that have come from that, right. um, the only relief that's come from it has been a lot of municipalities are saying, hey, we'll cover some of the debt. Right. Landlords still have to write off, you know, 15, 20, 30%, whatever that number is, depending on the state and city. But there's been little to no, um, I guess, pressure on, on the major banks in terms of them providing, you know, some sort of, um, right. I guess, long-term relief, Correct. I guess, in that case. Correct. Correct. So I think that when you ask, like, how do we see the end of this thing? I think that's the end. Once we have that, like, fallout, correction, cleanup, let's start over now, start from zero going forward. But we're not there yet. We are not there yet. Hmm. 
And I'm not even suggesting we. It's going to be interesting. I'm not even suggesting we should be there, but we're not there yet. Schools aren't open. Lots of businesses aren't open. You know, New York City is opening the restaurants in a couple of weeks. We're not there yet. But once we get to that point, I think we can start turning the corner to get to normal. Obviously, the vaccine and all that stuff has to be out flowing slash herd immunity. <laughs> Right, all that all right. that needs to happen in order for us to get back to normal functions. I know, I know the suburbs are going to benefit a lot from this, right? As they, they have been. are quicker to adapt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm curious to see what happens to places like New York, for example. Like Hudson Yards was delivered, right, in the recent years. Yeah. Um, what happens to all that office space? Like, does it get converted? Do you bring in new kinds of residents or new kinds of tenants? Right. Um, yeah, that's that's going to be very very fascinating to watch it play out. And at the same time, we're we're noticing how the I guess ideologies are changing in these major municipalities. Right. Call it the the New York way 10 years ago right. is very different than New York a year or two ago when, you know, in Long Island City, um, Amazon was supposed to be, right. you know, investing in the Opportunity Zone, right? right? And they were going to be opening up a, uh, a big location there. And then you had, you know, a lot of residents that were very much vehemently opposed to right. having that be the case, Right. Right. I'm sure those so, I'm sure those folks would love to have Amazon right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, jobs are so needed. I mean, logistics and e-commerce they've been like the darling, right, coming out of this uh, this pandemic. Um, the funny side note is in office space in New York, uh, tech has been on an uptick for you know ten years, right? And literally last year, quietly, Microsoft signed a million square foot lease. Um, Facebook is taking on a massive amount of square feet. Um, and Amazon's been looking for some office space too. So I think the trend of tech taking more office space in these city centers um, is probably going to be more so. Their percentage of it, I think, is going to continue to increase um, for the reason you just mentioned, that we need e-commerce. We need it. It is, it is becoming almost utility. Um, and that every business needs to use that resource. <laughs> you need to be able to send coffee. You need to be able to send a sandwich. You need to be able to send T-shirts and socks. <laughs> If you can't send it and you're relying on just the local people who can physically get to you, you're, you're, you're fighting with your hands behind your back. <laughs> how do you, how do you think, um, I guess our, our supply chain gets affected by, I guess, all these moves when we're like decoupling from, you know, China, for example, like, are we going to see warehouse demand um, be affected in, you know, in coastal markets, for example? 
the funny thing, and I don't know a lot about San Francisco, but in New York, it's been gold. Partly because we don't really build it. We haven't been building industrial space in decades, right? We spent years kind of peeling away at it, turning it into residential space, turning it into livable space, maybe turning it into commercial space. We aren't creating new districts to be manufacturing. So this like, you know, we're now trying to retrofit and try to use what we have. Um, you think of cities like Pittsburgh, right? They've had, they've gone through like a generation of no longer using the warehouse spaces and trying to figure out what the life is like without being a, you know, big steel powerhouse, a big shipping powerhouse. Now we're seeing that, oh, we can use industrial space for this logistic stuff. We can ship stuff um, here. Um, I think that has created opportunity, especially in the industrial space. I think that's created uh, a lot of excitement. We still aren't really making stuff in America, but <laughs> as far as shipping stuff around, like things land here and moving it around and the ease of doing that, it's been solid. And I think that'll, I think that'll continue to be the case. And as we think about technology and its effects in, um, in those markets, I mean, even from like the last year or so, it feels like this trend toward sustainability and impact um, kind of clashing with, you know, the traditional industrial spaces. We're also seeing like, um, like agriculture started starting to turn to tech lots of yes. indoor growing lots of investments yes. in um you know hydroponics and um using yes. robotics and machine learning to you know cultivate and grow mm -hmm. fruits flower yes cannabis yes. yes um i think that's definitely a growth space a lot of really big players are investing in farming actually I saw an article about mm. this a couple of months ago. A lot of really, really big players are getting into buying up the land, buying up farmland across America, actually. Um, and that is hard for mom and pops to keep up. And that's before factoring in the whole um, export fight or trade war that Trump had with China, which had a direct effect on the farms in America. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be a great growth space you know hopefully we can make more of our food more of our fruits and have better supply chain systems to deliver it um i think the cannabis space still very much has a lot of room to grow a lot of excitement a lot of investment so i think that'll continue for a number of years for sure it's it's really fascinating to think that like 10 years ago, marijuana was illegal in every single state. Yes. And we're now trending towards, you know, potential federal, potential federal, right. um, like legalization. Um, right. We're looking at just how that's really trending like even across america like as we we look at all these like 
this net migration, you know, out of these coastal markets, like how are those ideologies coming and being taken from the coast into the heartland? Mm. So like we, we talked earlier about like um, just the effects of, um, you know, these different municipalities, you know, gaining more, um, gaining more population, but also goes the different changes that come from the coastal markets. Like for example, like Arizona 10 years ago was very different than in Arizona today, right? It's a lot more democratic. Um, right. It, you know, the kind of jobs that were created in those markets, right? The same thing with Texas, same thing with Georgia. Um, mm -hmm. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how really the, the US changes and becomes more, you know, potentially more liberal as a whole, right. as, as things start to balance out. Right. I think so. I think, I mean, for one, lots of people voted <laughs> in the last election we just had um, on both sides, but on the liberal side, lots of people came out, showed up. Um, interesting enough, in a lot of conservative states like Arizona, historically, Georgia, um, lots and lots of liberals showed up to vote. Um, I think contrary, contrary to that, I think a lot of the conservatives from New York moved to Florida, um, South Florida in particular. Um, and South Florida surprisingly voted in the Trump direction. Um, and that maybe they're gonna gain a bigger mound of folks of political will as a result of. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and then how that affects the housing policy, mm -hmm. right? We probably won't put a lot more money into affordable housing in South Florida, probably, right? Uh, maybe more incentives to, you know, incentivize business, incentivize home ownership. So do you think that would cause like, mass levels of, um, I guess, gentrification? Would it be potentially? I mean, it doesn't seem like there, there are any rent control, rent stabilization, like ordinances in those markets, right? Correct, correct. There's no real protections, but historically South Florida hasn't had a problem of not having space, of not having enough housing for everybody. They haven't really had that problem. Um, yes, with this new influx of folks, with these increasing costs of housing, um, they may reach a point where, um, you know, there's a disconnect between the market and the demand. So, especially with the, the amount of forward investment, which Florida has always had, South Florida in particular, has always had a very high foreign investment activity. Um, you know, does that now get the fever pitch? Um, and then and does the city want to do anything about it? Right. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that's, that's the million dollar question or a billion dollar trillion dollar, depending on how you look at it. Um, mm -hmm. how, how are we going to be, you know, preparing our housing and our, our healthcare options? really across the nation to, you know, account for these different trends. 
Like, do we start seeing, you know, these, these big moneymaker industries like um, life sciences and biotech, do we see that, you know, become less concentrated in, um, in places like Boston, for example? Right. Do we see that moving to cheaper locations where real estate is a lot more attainable and space is a lot more favorable to building and growing? What do you think? Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. I think if you can be a scientist and be able to live in Savannah, Georgia, be able to live in Louisville, Kentucky, to be able to live in, you know, some small city in Michigan, right? And still have your knowledge base to be able to interact with those that creates the most value. I think that's a win-win. Um, you're helping the tax base in those smaller municipalities, hopefully a good quality of life for you and your family. Um, I think that's a win-win. Again, I, I think there's a bit of a balancing that's going on right now that I think in the long haul is actually going to be a good thing. It's interesting that you bring up, um, you know, the Midwest, like specifically, like I look at places like the capital Michigan, Lansing. Right. Um, there's been a huge really shift towards biotech. Mm -hmm. um, there's a publicly traded company called Neogen mm -hmm. that's actually headquartered in Lansing. And then the big question becomes, do programs like Michigan State University or the University of Michigan, they've already shifted towards healthcare and shifted towards tech. Right. But do we continue to see that acceleration as they start to become you know, the new hubs for innovation for the country. I mean, it's, it's cheaper to live there. Right. I think healthy economic development is a good thing that has to be an art and a science. So yes, you should encourage those high paying jobs. No, you don't want to gentrify people at the same time. <laughs> and there's this kind of balance, that's monetary policy, right? How do you like do it just enough, but not too much? <laughs> You know, okay. you want economic growth, but you don't want to go too fast and it becomes a bubble. And there's this constant kind of push and pull to try to get it just right. So, yeah, I think cities like Lansing are trying to improve the city, improve its long-term growth, um, but still make it a good quality of life for the people that live there and are from there. Makes sense. Um, It'll be it'll be interesting to see too, like how do we um, how do we account for all the I guess knowledge workers that you know, and that's really what we've been talking about, right? Knowledge workers. But True. when you think about like the flip side of that coin, right? From affordable housing to like different social programs that like we're really going to have to start looking at how like what do you do with that forty something year old who used to work at Macy's, Bloomingdale's, Sears. Right. Like what kind of jobs are gonna be out there for middle America? Like, are we moving towards um, like universal basic income? Like, are we gonna see more of those programs? What are your thoughts on that? Um. Andrew Yang might have a good run at this New York thing. I, I saw something the other day that said uh, he's actually got a good shot at it. So 
that will absolutely be on his platform if he pulls it off. Um, the universal basic income, because lots of lots of people need it. But the short answer is I'm a big believer in education and that I think if you retool your skills for the new economy, things should work out. That's kind of a high level Gerard belief system. But, you know, lots of really, really, really smart people, you know, are starting to talk about the fact that, you know, our whole economy is based on this capitalistic system that pretty much assumes everybody works um, with a very, very, very short safety net if you don't work. But our technology is growing such that we don't need as many people to work and that we might get to a point where we just don't need as many people to work, right? You don't need a gigantic factory with a bunch of people. You need a factory with robots and a couple guys come in and make sure the machines are doing their thing. Um, and I think at some point politicians have to really start addressing it. Yes, universal basic income is one way to address that. Like, listen, we're not gonna be able to employ everybody. We're just not. So like, let's just have that heart to heart. That's where we're going. Technology is getting good. AI is getting good. It's getting faster. Um, how do we deal with that new reality and that new normal going forward? Right? They figure out this autonomous car thing. Yo, Uber instantly is going to like throw the unemployment rate out the ceiling. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, it's so fascinating because like there's so many other factors. Like you talked about like Uber and them trying to figure out like, you know, automated vehicles. But in order for them mm -hmm. to figure that out, we need to have massive amounts of investments in 5G technology. And that's gonna require a lot, a lot of like infrastructure that needs to get built out. And yes. where, where does this money come from? I mean, we already have, um, I, th I, think, I think it's out there. I, you think it's out there? I think it's out there. I think there's plenty <laughs> out there. I do. Uh, I, well, I mean, it, it, I, I was reading a report um, by the. Uh, As a matter of fact, I think if there's anything we've learned recently, good ideas aren't short for capital. Hmm. Good businesses do not have a hard time getting capital, right? I, I think we learned it in the middle of like a recession type event, right? Elon Musk just became the richest man in the world. I True. think good ideas aren't, it's not a struggle to raise capital. Unless you're black or brown, right? But that's another topic. Another topic, another day. Yes. <laughs> that's another day. That's another podcast. <laughs> um, what do you, I guess, what do you think the biggest risks are as we're kind of going and muddling through the first half of 2021. What are the risks? Yeah. 
being overly confident. Hmm. I think if these vaccines don't work and we start getting sicker than we already are, um, and we start to shut stuff back down, um, and companies like airlines start laying off more people, um, I think it would be bad. I think it would be bad. Um, I think the new administration is going to have a harder time getting approved to cut checks for the country, just structurally. So if we fall into a bad place, he's going to have a hard time bailing us out of it. Right. So. What about what about our national debt just escalating from call it 115, 120% of GDP to I think projections from I think it was like PWC or maybe it was a CBRE that they were looking at, those numbers escalating to two times, two hundred percent. We are double what the number was 20 years ago. So yes. That is possible. <laughs> um, in the short term, I don't see any emergency reasons to be worried. In the long run, I do think we need to look at how we can reduce the budget um, and balance the budget and balance our debt. In the meantime, I think we're just trying to figure out how to be alive and keep a good quality of life for as many Americans as possible. And if we got to borrow a little bit right. in the meantime, I think that's okay. As a matter of fact, what we learned last year is that there's enough Americans that are unhappy about what's going on. Yeah. That we got to change things. Um, the way that it's working currently Lots and lots of people are not happy with it. So, yeah, I think if we can use debt to improve the quality of life, to improve the situation we got going on, I'm for that. So, I think this is a good first episode, my man. And it's been a fascinating conversation. A lot of topics that we just quickly brushed over, and I'm sure that. Um, we're, we're gonna have a lot a lot to talk about as we kind of continue thinking through what are the changes? How is our nation really kind of shifting and where are we headed? Yeah, man, yeah, man. It's gonna be a fun ride. <laughs> thank Sounds you for good. your time, I appreciate well, it. Thank you. All right, till next time. Till next time.